Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter number 6 with me, please. There are some very familiar, popular accounts in Scripture. You think of, of course, creation that so many people know so much about, and Moses and the plagues, the children of Israel at the Red Sea, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Job's whole life. I mean, that's a pretty popular account. Jonah. We spent some time with him last year. David and Goliath. Samson. Daniel and the lion's den, just to name a few. And you come to the New Testament, and if we just get to where we are now, we've got, of course, the nativity scene. We've got the baptism of Jesus. There are so many very familiar passages of Scripture. And that when they come up on a Sunday in the sermon, if we're not careful, we'll think, I, I've heard this one. Let's see, how many years have I been in church? I've heard this one that many times, right? So when we come to Jesus feeding the multitude, we can come with um, almost closed minds if we're not careful. So I want to pray that each one of us comes to the text fresh this morning and ask the Lord to encourage our hearts with what happens right in front of our eyes. Would you join me, please? Father, we do come this morning thanking you for your word, thanking you for the fact that so many passages are familiar. But this morning, Lord, we ask that you would help us to just um, take all of this in because we're in love with the author. To take all of this in in such a way that it ministers to each one of us, from the newest Christian walking with you to those who have been walking with you these many, many years, who have dug wells that many of us are drinking from. We're grateful. We love you. We need you. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. This one ranks up there. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels, which doesn't make it more true than something that isn't. But it is there in all four of the Gospels. It's another sign that Jesus is the Messiah, the feeding of the multitude. This sign, in fact, points back to the exodus of God's people. And I'm going to just hint at this. So I'm not going to go too uh, Bible nerd on you right out of the gate here. But there's so much here as it relates to Moses and the Israelites and the manna from heaven. I mean, it is just, it's so good. Here's the deal, though. As we look at the fact that we work through all the text together, Jesus really gets into that, and that discourse happens later on in John 6. So I'll hint at it a little bit this morning. I'm not ignoring it. It just really shows up and, and really fits the text better in the later part of the chapter. But just as a bit of a spoiler alert, Jesus feeds these people. And if you look ahead in your Bible at John 6 and just peek at verses 30 and 31, it's, it's just shortly after all this has gone down. Okay, it's it's the next day. There, there's a little bit of time passing. But in John 630, they, the crowd, says to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Like I say that with a little bit of 
teenage tone there because I think it fits. What are you, like Paula Abdul, what, what have you done for me lately? Like, you mean you've forgotten two days ago where I fed all of you with, with almost nothing? But even they're saying Moses fed us and, and Moses didn't feed them. Moses led the people as God led Moses and God fed them. Here Jesus is leading the people and Jesus will feed them. We're going to see God in the flesh this morning, Jesus Christ, and just a couple of lessons right out the gate here. Nothing is too hard for him. I mean, all those people, <laughs> no workable solutions in the natural didn't even phase Jesus. We're going to see a little boy, and we're going to be reminded that no one is too small for God to use. Can I just remind you and encourage you of that this morning? You don't have to be large and in charge for God to say, hey, I want you. That's not how this works. It's God changes you and makes you new and deploys you regardless. In fact, he delights in using things that make the world scratch their heads and go like, why in the world would God use you? I was talking with a brother just this week. He said, do you have a life verse? I said, yes, it's in 1 Corinthians. I am the foolish things that God spoke of. <laughs> but think about it. He uses a little boy with a little food and a little sack to feed a whole bunch of people. Lastly, we'll see that there's no hunger that Jesus can't satisfy. And I can't really make that point without winking at that text later on in John. So I hope that you'll indulge me there. I want to look at a few things as we work through the text. Again, I know it's familiar, but I hope this morning uh, there's something here for you to take note of. The first two words in verse 1 say, after this. You see it? After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. After this. Those two words don't give us any precision as to a timeline to what God is doing or, or really what's happening. We, we don't know exactly how much time has passed here. When I first came to Grace, we were finishing up the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Pastor D had preached through Mark, and, and I preached the last few sermons. In fact, he was so kind. Uh, on Palm Sunday, I think he covered like 47 verses so that I could preach the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. It was an amazing thing. I think he did a scripture reading and said, love y'all. Praise God. Be here next Sunday. It was amazing. Um, and so Mark gives us a lot of the timeline. Remember, I told you when we started John, John is not doing so much a chronological uh, event by event. John is presenting his gospel thematically. Let me back up again. This is the Bible. It's God's word. It's the authoritative. God is the author. But God's using men and their perspectives to give us these glimpses that, uh, that he wants us to see. So John is recording things thematically. In a way, and so there are details that really are important to some thematic events for John and, and some that are not. Mark fills in some of the gaps there, so does Matthew. Mark's gospel helps us here, but it doesn't help us with the timeline. There could be as much as six months passing between the end of chapter 5 of John and the beginning of chapter 6. And what does the Bible give us after this? You know, like, hey, thanks for that. I have a friend that... Uh, was notoriously late. I mean, he will be late for his own funeral. And um, some of you get that tomorrow. But he's notoriously late, and his claim to fame is when we would say, John, where are you? And he would say, I'm on my way. 
It took us years to figure out that that meant he could still be getting dressed at his home, having not left the house. And in his mind, that was a statement of integrity. We had to, had to educate him on a few things. So we get after this, which is a loaded statement. But it, it does open with a problem. Jesus has gotten popular. People have taken note of his ministry. Uh, hungry people are flocking to Jesus. Needy people are coming to where he is. The success of his ministry is drawing unwieldy, unwieldy crowds. In Mark 6, actually, if you, if you look there, I may put it on the screen. I'm not sure if I had it up there for you, Mark. But in Mark 6, in verse 31, we catch a glimpse into some things that are going on. Verse 31, uh, it says, and he said to them, Jesus says to his disciples, the apostles, he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, watch this, and they had no leisure even to eat. So they were busy. They were super busy. You'll have to ask Mark and Stephanie about their crews where they had no leisure even to eat on day one. Right? Something like that went down. When, when Jesus saw how tired his disciples were, he knew they needed to rest. I, I want to be careful here to say, to remind you, there's only one being who never slumbers or sleeps. And he sits on the throne of heaven. You and I have to shut down and reset. God made our bodies that way to remind us that we are not self-made men and women. We can't have it all. We can only have it some. <laughs> we have to rest. Listen to your body. Now, this is not, I'm not advocating for an obsession with self-care to where you never do anything because, you know, i got to be me. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that Jesus recognized among the team they needed a rest. And so he's saying it's time to rest. So what do they do? They're going to try to sneak away. They're going out the side door. They're hopping in a little boat. They're going to sneak away. And in verse 33 and 34 of Mark 6, it says, Many saw them going. And recognized them. And so they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Imagine. You're taking your wife to a secluded place. She's like, babe, we're going to go to this little island. I saved up enough points from all my travel. We're not even having to pay anything. We're going to a deserted island. Nobody's going to be there. The problem is, there was a pro the booking system gets weird. And it's the only weekend available, and everybody gets to go that weekend. So you show up on this deserted island, and there's 10,000 people waiting on you. Hey, we've been waiting on you. You're the last one to get here. They're getting away to rest, and they're showing up to work. They get there, and he goes ashore. He sees a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, tired, hungry. He still had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus began to teach them many things. Now we're approaching the Passover celebration in our timeline in John 6. Again, I gave you Mark 6 for some color to get us to where we are. So let's dive back into John 6 now that we've kind of got the scene set. The first thing I want you to write this down, I think it will encourage you right now today in May of 2023. Jesus has it all under control. Let that sink in for just a moment. I don't know what your it is, but Jesus has it all under control. 
Jesus sees this great crowd there, lifting up his eyes, verses five through seven. He, he sees the crowd coming toward them and he says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Stop right there. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? If you don't know the rest of the story, like if you're reading this for the first time, you think to yourself, does he really want Philip to go buy bread for all these people? In Mark's account, I think he uses the phrase, you feed them. Like he tells, looks at the disciple and says, go ahead and feed them. The next verse gives us the insight to what we need to know about Jesus. And, and it's the, the text, the proof for my first point. Look at verse seven or, or verse six. He says, he said this to them to test him for he himself knew what he would do. He knew what he would do. Jesus always knows what he's going to do, by the way. He's not wringing his hands at the political situation of this nation or the nations. He's not watching the news feed and sweating it. Jesus always knows what he's going to do. He's in charge. He knew what he would do. And Philip answered, not knowing Jesus knew all that. He says 200 denarii are, are worth of bread would not even be enough to give each of them a little. I want you to get the scale and the scope. This is a large crowd. We know of 5,000 people there, right? That's 5,000 men. There could have been up to, conservatively, 20,000 people there. 20,000 people there, including women and children. And Jesus knew every one of them and had compassion on every single one of them. He wasn't looking at a crowd of 20,000 or 15,000 or however many. He was looking at those individuals. He sees you. You're not lost in the crowd with Jesus. Be encouraged this morning. Sometimes he will let things seem to get so out of hand, like they're so far gone, that you have to throw up your hands and go like, I have no solution to this problem. And you turn back to Jesus and say, what are we going to do? Ashley reminded me of a pastor friend that we had way back when we were talking about the text this week. And, uh, years ago, he's in heaven now, but he had a strange view about this text. He got hung up in uh, Mark 6.37 where Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And he would say to us, he says, you know, I wonder why the disciples couldn't do it. I wonder, I, I, he was probably trying to prove that they just didn't have enough faith. Well, I mean, like that, you could probably write a book on that. And, and fortunately, it probably sell pretty good at the Christian bookstore. But that's not at all what the, I can hear my hermeneutics professor say, that's an interesting point. That's not what this is about at all. He's not saying that at all. This is Jesus uh, being the Messiah. This is not about them and their faith. It's about him doing what only he can do. That, here's why they couldn't do it. A couple of thoughts. They're not Jesus. <laughs> meeting I had with a boss one time. He asked me a question. I answered him with a question. He said, don't answer my question with a question. I said, Jesus did. He said, you're not Jesus. <laughs> Noted. Yes, sir. God, God wasn't trying to enable the disciples to do big things. He was trying to show everyone that he was a big God. It's a messianic sign. It points back to Moses. And that's, I'll say a little bit more about that, but not too much this morning. This is all about Jesus. It's not all about even the hungry. By the way, just a, a side note here. They weren't starving to death. Nobody would die from missing a meal that day. Have you ever thought about that? 
It wasn't that he went to the leper colony where they hadn't eaten in a month and he provided food for them. These were folks that had come to camp meeting. I mean, that's a modern term, but they had just come to hear some preaching and, and to see Jesus. And he looks and he knew there was an opportunity for him to show himself who he was. This is a new phase of his ministry. He's going public. We saw that shift happen a while back. The big crowds don't scare Jesus because he sees people as individuals. He had compassion on each and every one of them, and he knew them by name. He had compassion on each and every one of us this morning. And he knows you by name. And he knows you by name. And there's not one hair in your head that he doesn't know the number of. You don't have a situation that's outside of his view. You're not hiding anything from him, and nothing will catch him off guard that will come into your life this morning. That's our King. That's our Savior. Let's look at how these faith-filled disciples responded. Philip freaked out a little bit, didn't he? He's like, look at the crowd. He's like, right? Philip must have been, at that point, I, know, I don't know where Judas is in the picture yet, but Philip apparently knew how much was in the bank account. Philip said 200 denarii would not even give these people a bite. A denarii represented a day's wage. Here's the math. Philip said, if I had eight months of salary worth of bread, everybody wouldn't even get a bite. Can you imagine? By the way, I said this before, they're not starving, but they are hungry. Even without severity, the scope and scale of your problem can shake any man or woman to their core, but it doesn't shake Jesus. Even if your problem that you're facing, your situation that you find yourself in the midst of, seems like it's, it's a big deal to you, but you know, when compared to this thing in somebody else's life, you don't even want to bring it up. Listen, God knows all about it. He knows all about it. Everything can shake us if we're not careful, but nothing ever shakes God. He's in charge. He's got this. Whatever this is, be encouraged this morning. There's no crowd Jesus can't handle. Take note, even a bunch of hungry church folk don't scare it. That scares me. Like when we have a fellowship, I know to get in and get out. I don't get between church folk and fried chicken. So God has everything under control. Nothing's too hard for him. The second thing I think we can note from the text this morning to encourage us today is God can use anything and anyone he wants to. I mean, let's, I mentioned some of those Old Testament passages. The, the Bible speaks of the fact that God used Pharaoh in his plan. Right? That messes with our clean, tidy theology some that God would only use a certain type of person now God gets glory out of a certain type he, he loves to use pure vessels he's most easily glorified and most clearly seen when we're walking in step with him in the spirit but he will work around us if he chooses to God can use anything and anyone no one and nothing is too small even if the world thinks it's insignificant Look at verses 8 through 11. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says to him, Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? 
Now we want to berate Andrew for his lack of faith here. Can I just put you in Andrew's shoes for a minute? 20,000 people. Lowest estimates I've seen from the most like hardcore conservative commentators put it at about 12,000. I mean, I don't know where everybody was, but that doesn't match the standard family size in the day. But let's say 12 to 20,000 people. What would you say? Jesus, I've got something amazing here. I want your faith, right? Jesus, here, this will be enough. Hallelujah. We've seen you turn water into wine. Can you turn this into, I don't know, what, what do you do? What, what's this among so many? Jesus then responds and says, have the people sit down. Like he didn't even acknowledge, he didn't go, oh, ye of little faith. He said that other places. He didn't say that here. He said, go ahead and have everybody sit down. And so there was much grass in place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus takes the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Andrew was realistic in his assessment of the matter. It is a lack of faith to a degree, but they had never seen anything like this before. They'd never encountered anything like this before. Barley loaves, by the way, would have indicated that this kid was from a middle-class family, not the poorest family. The poorest wouldn't have had that. But even so, this was a sack lunch for a little boy. I don't know how the discourse goes between him and Andrew. I know that, uh, that directors and producers and storytellers take liberty with this. and I, I've not seen one that feels unbiblical in the account, but... Maybe uh, Andrew, is, they're all out. All the disciples are out working the crowd, right? Does anybody have any food? Do you have any food? Do you have anything we can share? I carry candy with me a lot of times on a Sunday morning. I become that person, right? <laughs> and I, I know which ones like the clear mints. I know which ones like the lifesavers. And then I had some gummies I used to carry that the hygienist said, hey, we love those. Um, my child's teeth are falling out. Could you stop bringing those, please? So... Uh, my dentist also found out I was handing out gummies and threatened to hurt me next time. So I said no. Um, and so, like, uh, Darren uh, also, like, the, it's funny. It's kind of weird, right? The pastors always have candy. Kids are walking up. They look like they're being frisked. <laughs> but I carry things. And I, I imagine, did anybody, I'd, I'd go to all the older guys at church that the kids hang around with. I'm like, you got any, anything? Can I, like, anything? Can I break up that lifesaver? No. 20,000, what, give me a hammer? I don't know what you do with that. Does anybody have anything? And this boy says, I have this. I don't know what was on the boy's mind. Maybe he thought it was for Jesus. Does, is Jesus hungry? I'm not going to spiritualize him in that way. I, I don't know what he thought. But he, he had to volunteer the information because he could have hidden it and not said a word. It was discovered that he had some food. And Andrew said, well, that's hardly anything. If I'm Andrew, I don't even take that. I go like, okay, I'll remember that. And then all they all get back to Jesus. Maybe, I don't know. This is, this is just a knee jerk here. But they all get back to Jesus. And Jesus said, so what'd you find out? And Andrew said, well, there's a, there's a kid there that, um, I mean, he's got five loaves and two fish. But what's that among so many people? He doesn't scold Andrew. He just goes to the next step. Listen, listen to me. It doesn't matter how little you think you have. God can use that for his glory to do things you've never dreamed of if you'll trust him and let it go. It doesn't matter how little or small or insignificant you are this morning. 
When God gets His hands on you, He can make something beautiful that multiplies out of your life. Give it away. Don't hang on to your little when God can do much with it for His glory. Give it all to Jesus. The boy could have kept quiet, but he knew that people were hungry. He offered what he had. The songwriter says, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Think about it when Samuel was pointed by God to go select David. He had seen all of these men that looked the part in Jesse's family. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on the appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected them. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Others saw a shepherd boy doing a menial task. God saw a king for his glory. 1 Corinthians 1, I mentioned it earlier. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. What is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in his presence. You know what the boy's boast would be later? Not that he fed all those people. If you interviewed him and got him on uh, a quick little social media feed and, you know, the cameras come in and the lights and everything to get the after the meeting moment. And he looks at the camera like, hey, we heard it was your lunch. It was your food. How does that make you feel? He would say, I didn't do anything. I barely had enough for me. All I know is Jesus took it and made something out of it. That's what he does with us. This passage really connects with verses 22 through 60, which we'll bring out in a couple weeks. Jesus is the bread of life. He alone can satisfy the greatest need that everyone in humanity has. This morning, though, as we wrap up, I want to hit one more final obvious blessing here. Not only does God have it all under control, not only can God use anything that he chooses, even the smallest that the world might pass by. Lastly this morning, he always supplies more than enough. Jesus supplies more than enough. Look at verses 11 through 13. I hope you're encouraged by this this morning. In verses 11 through 13, the Bible says, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, here it is, as much as they wanted. Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Wow. Pretty remarkable. They had their fill. Not just a bite of bread, not just a whiff of fish. They had as much as they wanted. There were 12 baskets filled with leftovers. God fed the multitude miraculously. 
This wasn't a magic trick. This wasn't an illusion. This wasn't a camera trick. Jesus prayed. He thanked his father for what he was about to do. And he turned five loaves and two fishes into an all-you-can-eat buffet for nearly 15 to 20,000 people. Why did the disciples do it? Because only Jesus can do that. Jesus is the miracle worker. He supplies and it's never too late, and it's never too little. He never runs out. When God poured out His grace and love on us, He gave in abundance. It helps us when we're hungry and frustrated, when we need peace in our life, to remember that God has poured out His love on us, the Bible says, in Romans chapter number 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Here it comes. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Let me tell you something, church family. Just one drop of God's love is enough to satisfy every hunger of the whole world. But the picture here in the language is not that God used an eyedropper to drop a drop into a heart. No, the picture here is you and me and the whole world standing underneath Niagara Falls, unable to stand for the force. That's how much God gives in abundance when it comes to his will and his way. Jesus loves to go above and beyond not only what we ask for, but even what we can think. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, he's never yet run into a problem he can't solve. No wine at a wedding, no problem. Jesus is here. No food in the wilderness, no problem. Jesus is here. No life in the tomb, no problem. Jesus will get up on the third day. When you follow Jesus, you never reach a dead end. You never run out of, here it is, exactly what you need, not necessarily want. I've been on a few planes in the past week and watched the cart as it comes back on one of those three and a half, four hour legs where they give you a meal. And I use scare quotes with that on purpose. And... Uh, if you're in the first few rows, the world is your oyster. You've got options galore. And by galore, I mean three. You have three <laughs> options. But if you're in the back of the plane next to the bathroom, where I've ridden on occasion, um, when they book us missionary fare on uh, some of our flights, when you're in the back of the plane, uh, you recognize that all the boxes that you've been watching seem to be gone. And the only thing left are like fish eyeballs and soup or something crazy. And you're going to Charlotte. Like, it's not like you're going to Japan or anything. Anyway, you recognize that the options are limited. Here's the deal, though. That's a little bit of hyperbole to make the point. You're going to get something to eat. Your body needs something to eat, and there's something to eat. It may not be exactly what you want. I doubt everybody wanted a Cajun fish fillet sandwich that day. That was with Jesus. I'd have been there, like, with bells on. There'd only been 11 baskets left after me because I'd have went to town on one of them. But everybody got what they needed. 
You know, the disciples knew of Jesus performing seven miracles already. They knew of the water being turned into wine, the nobleman's son being healed from a distance. They knew of Jesus hearing the, healing the paralytic by the pool of Bethesda. But they were so fixated on the problem, they couldn't conceive that Jesus would have a solution. Sometimes, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and get so fixated on the problem of fill in the blank, is it your finances? Is it your health? Is it this nation? I mean, when you think of all that you see happening around us, are you like, woe? Is, it, is your life a life of woes? Or is the joy of the Lord your strength? Now, it's right for us to be disappointed when we see sin rampant in the land. It's right for us to proclaim the truth. It's right for us to proclaim light in a dark place. But it's not right for us to take our eyes off of Jesus. And think that everything's coming apart and everything's out of control. No, no, no. We're tempted to do that. Don't do that. Before I finish, there is a temptation and a message and sermon like this to pervert this into a prosperity heresy that it's not. That thing of Jesus will fix all your problems. Jesus wants you to be filled up all the time with the best that life has to offer. The Bible just does not make the case for that. And verses 14 and 15 of the text, I think, frame that for us beautifully. Look at what it says in verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Well, that's an accurate statement, but Jesus knew their hearts. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Church family, listen to me carefully. God works for his glory on his terms. We don't get to mold Jesus into our image or force God onto our timeline or make him into something he's not. They would have made him a king right then and there to solve their Roman occupation problem. Not to be Lord of their hearts and lives. Not too much later, this crowd that wanted to take him by force and make him king will be shouting, we'll not have this man to rule over us. You see, there could be no kingdom for Jesus without a cross. His kingdom would not be given to him by force of man, but only by his father. Before he would reign as the Lion of Judah, he had to lay down his life as the Lamb, bearing the sins of the whole world. On a criminal's cross. The miracle cannot outsize the master when God provides. If God is in it, his son will be glorified. This sign this morning that we've read about was to point to him as the true bread from heaven without which we will actually starve to death. Not just need a bite of something to eat. As Julia comes this morning, I want to close with a passage we open with from Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Whatever has you uneasy this morning, God 
has it under control. Whatever the world or your friends or family are telling you, God can use anything and anybody, and that includes you. And whatever you think your outsized circumstance demands, I want to remind you, God supplies more than enough. Let's pray this morning. this morning, I can't help but think about Jesus. You have it all under control. We've, as humanity, are sinful and in need of a Savior. You have it all under control and you can use anything and anyone. The world would not look for a king in a manger. The world would not look for a king being raised by a carpenter. The world certainly would reject a king crucified on a cross, dying a criminal's death. But Lord, you can use anything. And you chose to use your son on your terms. And Lord, because he shed his blood, it is more than enough to cover the most heinous of sinners that need saving. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, you fulfilled every one of these, not just in the feeding of the 5,000, not just that we can pray with confidence. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Father, you are the bread that satisfies and will never hunger. Help us this morning to just hunger and thirst after you and the righteousness that you've given us in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen.